Doug, you know how I'm always uh, saying that I'm going to live forever, right? That, that's my, yep. one of my live goals. to be for eternity, yeah. Yeah, and because my, my logic recently has been that if you can make it to, uh, you know, 80 or 90, by that point, surely they will have, they will have the technology that will get us to, to 200 or 300. And then if you can get there, then, I mean, within just a few years after you're, you know, you're 100 or 150, they're going to have us getting to be 1,000. And then, then, then you don't have to worry about death anymore. <laughs> so with that in mind, I mean, do you think it's fair for me to say that, that, the, that the supplement that I invented helps you live for eternity? <laughs> Is that, would the FDA you think approve that statement? <laughs> I mean, I, we probably shouldn't make that claim. <laughs> maybe we won't make that claim but the point is you got to get far enough to uh you want to be healthy for the long term so that you have that chance right <laughs> yeah. uh so that is that's one of the reasons why i invented and co-founded a company that makes uh this this product called complement so a plant-based diet is a wonderful no no at least you won't find any uh arguments against that from me uh, however I think if we are smart and honest and looking at the evidence, then there are things that are missing from that diet uh, on its own that don't, you know, make it as good as it could be for living as long as you can and staying healthy. Uh, the ones that most people know about are B12, vitamin D, and DHA and EPA, uh, which, by the way, are two omega-3 fatty acids. And besides that, there are a few little minerals and things like that, uh, iodine, zinc, selenium, vitamin K2, uh, those come to mind as things that vegans probably should be supplementing with. I don't want to say that all should, but people like me who think about this stuff a lot um, often do the research and land on, you know, come to the conclusion that we should be supplementing with those things. So that is um, what, you know, where Complement Plus came from. Uh, it's a, an, a vegan capsule that includes all of those things and doesn't include anything else because, Doug, as you know, I'm not a huge fan of taking multivitamins. We get all this good stuff from our food. Uh, so why would we want to be getting you know, more vitamin C in our diet than nature really intended for us. So it's those things without all the stuff that you don't need, uh, all in one pill, convenient. And what's great about it is that you can get all that protection for just around a dollar a day. You can get all the details and decide if Compliment Plus is right for you at nomidathlete.com slash smarter. That's nomidathlete.com slash smarter. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Athlete Radio. Remember we were talking a few weeks ago about uh, the, the rising popularity of esports? Yeah, of of gaming sports. Yeah, esports. Yeah, okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. I remember that. Give it the lingo here. It's called esports. It's it's more popular than real sports now, basically. More. It's, it's, it's going to be soon. Okay. The, what I heard is that the uh, you know NBA Two K. Do you know what that is? No. It's like the basketball game that is out now on on. Maybe it's two K eighteen. I don't know. I don't know anything. But it's a it's the new basketball game. Okay. Like like NBA Jam, but way better. Yeah. I, I don't know how you can get much better at NBA Jam, but, <laughs> but I anyway, get what you're saying. Better somehow graphics. they've improved on that. Okay. And uh, so there the the draft for that there's there's an esports draft where you the I guess owners of esports teams are drafting the guys who and women guys and girls who are playing the video games that you draft those people you draft the players of the you draft the people behind the controller right the so the <laughs> owners of the esports teams do and then these owners are like they also own real sports teams so that they all they have some some real sports franchises have esports like sides what? to them yeah uh 
and they they're holding the draft in Madison Square Garden, and I think I think the NBA commissioner is going to be at it. What? It, this is it's like a real real thing. I heard it's a billion dollar industry now. Do the do the players get paid? Yeah, they get paid. I'm sure they get paid a ton of money. I mean, they get paid like you know. They're getting drafted to like play professional professional. Exactly. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Seriously. And there's ads, and people watch it, and and I guess it's monetized by by I don't know if you paid to, to subscribe to it or if it's like free. I think it's I think a lot of it is on free on uh, Twitch or something. Twitch TV. Have you heard of that? Uh huh. I, I think that's that. I think that's a TV that I don't have it, but I think it airs these things. No, it's just a website. Oh, there's no there's no uh, streaming of. I'm good. I'm sure you can get the website on your TV though, right? Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, like, yeah. If you have a smart TV. But it's like a, it's like a live YouTube. But yeah. everything's live. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So, um, and you and you so yeah, there and that's wild. There's big so, money in it, and it's a it's a big thing. So the when you're when you're drafted onto a team, you're still playing by yourself against another single person, right? That I don't know because I was watching. So I was looking up, um, what was I looking up? Something, I don't know. Some, oh, I had a problem with my, so here I am making fun of this gaming, and I, the reason <laughs> I found it is because I, I, there was a problem with the uh, FIFA, FIFA, which I play with my son, uh, the, t- the pack store. You couldn't buy new packs of players. And I was just Googling to see if there was a known issue with the pack store or if it was just on our end. And I found their Twitter feed, and I started watching some of the stuff, like the top 10 goals of the week, which goals of the week on FIFA. And... The, I noticed that the player names, the individual player names, were above the guys' heads when they would, you know, do these moves and make these amazing. Goals. Oh, really? And I started to sense maybe they're playing something different than the thing that Holden and I have access to, where they're actually, you know, eleven eleven people right on a team. I don't know if that's true or not. I might be. I'm sure people listening to this do know that, but uh, everyone, uh, I'm sure everybody listening to this knows exactly. <laughs> what, exactly. But, what but if they're not doing that yet, then that's coming. I'm sure of that. And I think what I heard about the basketball thing is that people have their own player who they have kind of like, they have, uh, you know, up. developed through the yeah through the years or the months or whatever. One single player, I think, in NBA 2K or whatever the game's called. And they had a combine. You know, you know how the NFL has a combine? Uh-huh. Before the draft and everybody goes and, you know, shows their skills and yeah. runs through the yeah, series yeah. of tests. Well, they, the, these draft people went to, did a combine with their... <laughs> They got assigned like a random guy, not a random guy, but a, a standard guy, not the not the guy they had been building up over the years, uh-huh. and and had to like you know do do the shooting drills and you know run the forty. I guess I don't know. That's hilarious. It's scary to me. It's just like a weird. Are thing people gonna people... quit playing actual sports? That's, and... that's what I wondered. I I have no idea, but it's possible. I mean, I would. I don't know I how like I feel about this. That's how I felt. I mean, you know, I'm not anti-video games at all, especially sports games versus, like, shoot-em games, you know. But that that just seems kind of weird to me. You right? know what? I thought about this extensively, and I the conclusion I reached was you could always... Like, I don't think there's any interest in watching... Um, actually, this is not really true anymore. I don't, <laughs> my, my logic was there's always going to be real sports, real in-person sports, because... No matter how good players are at playing video game sports, I would imagine you can always just program a computer. The person who wrote the game could program the computer to be the best player, right? So, I mean, I don't know if that for sure, but I feel like with human stuff, there's still like this human 
element to things that that you you capture something that a machine can't. Like I, I don't think we could program a robot right now to be a professional basketball player. Right. Right. He'd be terrible, or she or it would be terrible. I think. Yeah. Yeah, but you could so always thinking, still just have leagues where humans play humans, and then you can. Yeah. Right. But my thinking was, you're never going to witness something that is just incredible that only humans could create. Mm. Right on the on this esports field because you could always just have a computer simulation and witness things a million times better. And so right. I thought there's always going to be room for this human thing. But now you know now that I'm saying that I don't know that for sure because, like sprinting, we can make a car go faster than a human can, but we're still interested in which human can sprint the fastest. Sure. And I was the example that made me question all this was chess. I was thinking that we still watch chess matches at high level. I mean, not that I do or any of us do but people watch high level chess tournaments and matches and that there's excitement in that but a computer can play better than a human at chess right so maybe my logic is faulty i don't know i i just uh i don't know it's I don't sad know. right it's it is, very... it's kind of for some reason that is sad yeah yeah but it shouldn't be i mean i think when i when i hear people like lamenting the rise of technology and this nostalgia mm-hmm. for the past and how right. sad they are. I'm always like, well, you shouldn't be sad. You're just, you're just stuck in your old ways and you need to, you need to mm-hmm. embrace that it's a new world now. So try not to be sad about it, but it's just weird. It's mind blowing to me. I honestly, I honestly have no problem with people making money off video games. Like being, you know, there's like Twitch stars that just play video games and mm-hmm. get people watch it and get paid. So I can see that there's, like it's not something I would ever just watch somebody play like Mario, but you know I can see that some people might enjoy that, and they're like talking over it and kind of entertaining or whatever, and you you make ad money from that. Like I have no problem with that, but it does seem a little weird if we're like starting all these leagues, you know, and encouraging people to play a video game version of a sport instead of the actual sport. For some reason, that feels different to me. Yeah, it does, but <laughs> but. Anyway, I don't, I don't want to judge and say it's worse to play the video game than it is to play the real sport. Because I don't know that it is. Right? I mean, I think, I think it probably is, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, if, if that was all you did was play video games, then you're going to run into physical problems. But sure. assuming you're maintaining a decent health, which is a big assumption, but assuming you are, then it, you know who's to say the real sport's better than the video? You're less likely to get injured in the video game sport. That's true. So. And less likely to have human interaction and uh less likely to move your body and <laughs> more likely to spend hours in front of a screen right but but if we assume a, a health a general level of health then then human okay. action and moving your body aren't aren't necessarily good if you've already got health i don't know <laughs> okay so anyway 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 that's, that, that's, that's interesting that's, that's i'm that's glad you shared that because i had no idea that that was a that was a you said billion dollar industry i think it's a, I think it's a one billion dollar industry oh my goodness what you know? What I, I was watching these FIFA goals yesterday, the goals of the, of the week, and they were uh-huh. amazing. And it was like it made me not even want to play FIFA anymore because I'm never going to do what they do. And it was like, <laughs> why? What are we doing? And then I, my, my son is in soccer camp all week, and, it, and when he came home, I said, "I'm so glad you're working on real moves instead of getting this good at FIFA like some of these people are." And I, but as I was watching it, I was like, I, I just don't understand what is good about watching that, right? Like, it's not it, it even the, aside from the fact that it's not a real thing happening it just isn't that high quality thing like it's the same camera angle all the time you're just seeing this overhead shot of the field or mm-hmm. whatever it is three quarters view of the field and like the only things that are going to happen are those things that are in the game so i my, i guess what i think is in 10 years i think it's going to look indistinguishable from 
Real world. And it kind of already does in like the replay sequences. But right. you know, when it when it has a virtual reality reality component to it and it it just feels exactly like the real thing, then then maybe I'll get it. Right? I still the quality of watching it right now just doesn't seem that entertaining to me because it just you know, there's only a finite number of things that are going to happen whereas in real sports you got all kinds of crazy things that might happen. I just yeah, I just can't imagine and maybe maybe this is like me being so disconnected from it, but you know, I can't imagine like getting excited about sitting down and watching, you know, like I do a a big a big baseball game. Like I can't imagine going to a bar and watching a right, a, you know, a video game version of a baseball game. That's right? how I that's how I felt, and I but I don't know if that's really valid or not. Like I couldn't think of why. What what is it really the difference? One's happening in real life, one's happening virtually. But yeah, I mean because one. I mean, we we should probably move on from this, but, <laughs> but one is happening like with fingers, right? <laughs> you know, and then one of them is like the person has like trained their entire body to, right, to be really good at this, and their eyes and all this stuff. Yeah, uh, right. You're right about that, and where and where it is right now, it takes a lifetime of dedication to become a professional, world class professional athlete, right? Right, and and. Yeah, I'm sure it's increasing the amount of dedication it takes to become a world-class e-sport athlete, if that's what they're called, e-athlete. Uh, e-athlete. But it, but it sure doesn't seem like it takes as much right now, right? I think that's a really good point. It might take five years of hard work. I'm not making air quotes when I say hard work. <laughs> uh, um, to become an e-sports athlete, and, and I guess, you know, maybe there's not that same level of appreciation for what they're accomplishing then, if it don't, if it's... If, if the level of competition isn't there yet, but but in ten years again, then, then we're not going to have that problem. Then then it will be just as hard maybe to make it as an esport athlete as it is a pro athlete. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right. Maybe. But, so on. I guess uh, the final question related <laughs> to that is is if uh, if you're a vegan esport athlete, are you are you still a Nemi athlete? I was wondering about this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right? We it probably Neil Neil Barnard has uh what's his what's his brain book brain super brain i don't know he has a he has a book about how good a vegan diet is for your brain mm. and my my what i always told my mom when i was playing nintendo as a kid was it's good for my eye hand coordination and it's good for you know my my brain evolution <laughs> a little bit so if it's if it's a thinking thing we're talking about reaction time then you got to think uh plant-based diet might help <laughs> i don't know certainly with your finger recovery Yes, that's right. <laughs> All right, so let's talk anyway. about real stuff here. <laughs> now, that, now that we have, now that we officially started, probably four out of the last five episodes talking about video games <laughs> or gambling and or gambling, yeah. Oh, and there is betting on esports. Betting on esports. Yeah, I think DraftKings even has that. No. Yep. Oh has goodness. had that for a while. Oh my goodness. Anyway, okay. so today what we are doing is uh, something, I guess you might think of it almost as a continuation of last week's episode, but we didn't want it to be that. Uh, last week's was, was kind of impractical and just us, uh, you know, I, I think we did, and this one is still based on a survey. We, did, we just sent a survey around and, you know, we got a bunch of uh, the sense that people felt stuck. And that's what last week's episode was, just addressing stuck and how do you get unstuck and we didn't really give concrete tips for getting unstuck because that wasn't what we were trying to do. But we we just sort of gave some examples from our lives of when we've been stuck and how we got through it or didn't get through it in hopes that people would just appreciate the perspective and maybe find something that they could use there. 
This one, uh, I, I really dug into the survey, to the frustrations that people had, and uh, got an alarming sense that people who eat plant-based diets and are, you know, engaged enough to respond to a survey on our email list, of which a thousand did, which is, you know, not, not, that's only a small percentage of the, of the audience. So this was a fairly engaged group to fill out the survey. Uh, so many people there are worried about plant-based diet, not giving them everything they need, not because they have evidence that it is not, but they're just concerned that they're not getting everything they need. That's, that's a big frustration or fear, I should say. And further, a lot of people just beat themselves up over not doing it right. They're, they're trying to follow really strict things and they want to be hundred percent this and hundred percent that. And they, they have some, some craving, whether it's like a cheese addiction or a vegan cheese addiction that they can't get over. And, and they are just killing themselves because they're, they're they feel like they're just totally failing because they have this, this, these cravings or this addiction or, you know, they can't be perfect. So, we sent an email around this week uh, that that I wrote a couple days ago, and uh, it got a really good response. And it was just sort of, you know, and again, not not a whole lot of concrete stuff, but just acknowledging what was going on and what I thought was probably the cause of it. And uh, it resonated really, really well. People people got it, so we said, hey, let's do an episode about this. And uh, we we do have a little bit more specifics than last time, um, as far as how do you just the approach to to eating that is not full of stress because if it's full of stress then it's not going to be very healthy uh just just because even if you're eating the healthiest diet in the world but if it's stressing you out to do it then you know i i just do not believe that the net effect on your body is going to be one of health it's going to be one of of stress and and your body's going to reflect that and it's not going to be a good thing so what i want to outline here in this talk is um the approach that i've kind of come to over many years now of trying to eat healthily, thinking about what I'm eating, becoming over the years from omnivore to vegetarian to vegan to whole foods focused, and then to something what I think is slightly beyond and and better than just eating whole foods. Which because because just eating whole foods is fine, but I feel like it, it can kind of fall into sort of a lazy approach where you're eating I don't know pasta every night and saying well this is this is whole enough, so I'm doing what I should be doing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, you know, I think that uh, when it, like diets are, are interesting, right? Because, you know, I, the diets are created with rules, right? They, that's the definition of mm-hmm. a diet, right? So, I mean, you know, the vegan diet has specific rules that you have to follow if you're following the diet to the, to the T, right? Right. Um, and that by itself adds this, creates this level of stress for for certain people i think and especially when you're kind of just getting into it that there's that structure that is good you know that that can be helpful right because it defines how how you should be following something but at the same time you feel this pressure that uh you know if you're not following it exactly then then you're not really following it and are you still getting the benefits and you know and then that kind of creates some stress Mm -hmm. um and we have talked before in, in other episodes about whether going all in or taking like a slow approach um, is better, uh, both when transitioning to, to vegan, veganism, uh, and also just, you know, with anything else. Um, and, you know, what, I guess what I've found for myself and my own personal journey is that that structure, those, those like hard and fast rules can be really good. Going all in can be really good for getting like a baseline 
And then you kind of open yourself up a little bit, relax a little bit, and find what actually is working for you. Yes. And that is something we've talked about that on the podcast before. I may have written a few blog posts sort of about this topic. Um, but that has been the way that I have typically made changes over the years. And I don't know that it is something that is a, works for everyone. But we have talked in the, in, in the past about the power of um, a deadline or kind of a, a finish line. Yeah, not a deadline, but a finish line to a, a challenge you're doing, right? A week-long diet challenge or a 30-day diet challenge. And I think... I think these things have gotten a bad rap because it's like, okay, we start thinking about cleanses. Like, I'm going to do a 30-day cleanse or a week-long mm-hmm. cleanse, and then everything will be better after that because I did those 30 days or that week you know, that week of this healthy eating. And, of course, that's not true, right? If you, what you do for, for a week or 30 days or, or a year doesn't do anything 20 years from now or 10 years from now. What, what, only, what matters is what actually sticks and, and you know whether it sticks or whether it affects the way you are after that uh, in some lasting manner. That's what matters. So uh, we're not talking about, you know, do a cleanse so that everything is better after that and then just do another one a year from now to, to maintain, you know, that level of cleanliness. Right. Right. Uh, instead, there's a lot of power in having a deadline because it, it lets you try something. It lets you kind of take the massive action all at once, all in approach, which we often kind of recommend against doing, suggest not doing, uh, because it's so hard to maintain something when, and the example I gave a lot is like if, if you were to just go vegetarian or go vegan overnight, and the goal is make it last forever, uh, especially if it's like a health motivation, if you don't have the ethical motivation, because the ethical thing will, will, you know, help with the willpower and it will help you maybe make that happen. But let's just say you're health motivated only, and you find out that a plant-based diet is, you know, you read all the research and you find out this is the healthy way to be. So you switch overnight the problem is a week from now or, or three days from now, you're fighting this craving for a cheeseburger or whatever your favorite food was that you used to eat that, that is, you know, an animal product. And then and you're not just fighting it then, you're also fighting in your mind this, you keep saying, wow, I, I can't have that now and I can also never have that again my entire life. Mm. And that that's really, really hard. So if you have a, but if but if the thing is, I can't have a cheeseburger now, but if I just get to Saturday, then I can again, or, or sorry, yes, yeah, that, that I can again, then when you get to Saturday, because you, you that helped you get through, you know you might decide that, okay, you're done and you are ready to go back to eating a cheeseburger again. But you might also, when it's decision time, you might be in a better state, either because you're starting to see results uh, and, and you're starting to sense that this is working, or because you're just not craving a cheeseburger at the time and you can kind of step back and make a, a, a decision from less from that hot state and more from a state of like, you know, level-headedness and not based on cravings or something else yeah so anyway so we really like this the challenges for that reason and that's what that's what the finish line really helps with it helps you to get through that challenge so for me in the process of going vegetarian and then even in the process of going vegan uh both times i i had a 30 day or maybe i don't know with vegetarian it wasn't really 30 days i just i tried a few weekends of it um and it helped. And even if I didn't last, like when I tried to go vegan, or it wasn't even that I was trying. When I was interested enough in a vegan diet that I wanted to try it, I set myself a 30-day challenge. And I wrote about this on my blog. You could go find it if you really wanted. And uh, after it was done, like I, I found myself counting down the days till I could eat cheese pizza again. Because I didn't have some huge ethical aversion to it. I just, I just kind of felt like I wanted to eat vegan, but didn't really know for sure. It wasn't all that motivated. Uh, and so I was counting down the days so I could have cheese pizza again because I wanted that so badly. 
And when my challenge was done, I, sure enough, ate cheese pizza again, and I didn't feel bad about it because I completed my challenge and it was good. And what happened was what I didn't really expect was that over the next three or six months or whatever it was, uh, I I moved slowly, gradually towards a plant-based diet. And by the time I was, you know, by the time six months had passed, I was ready to say, okay, it's time to officially go vegan. I'm really ready and motivated. And it wasn't hard. It just, I approached it in small steps. So generalizing that, it's sort of, for the way I have made change in the past is take a massive action all in at once, go for it challenge for some preset determined amount of time. And then when you're done, it's fine to go back to the way you were. But because you got to experience that for a month or two weeks or whatever it was, then, you know, you'll know, I think whether consciously or unconsciously, you will know whether that's going to work for you or whether you're at, at the level where you might be able to make that work. And then I think you can get there over time in a more gradual manner uh, th- that doesn't involve such drastic extreme changes in your life. Yeah. I mean, my my journey to from vegetarian to vegan is, is you know, it kind of follows that same structure where I, was, I took a seven-day vegan challenge, um, the Uba Balta's mm-hmm. seven-day challenge, and uh, and then realized I wasn't quite ready yet, but, but realized it wasn't that hard uh at home, right? So then after that seven days, we were at home vegans, um, you know, where everything in the house was, was vegan. But if I was out and I wanted, really wanted to slice the cheese pizza, then I could, I would allow myself to do that. Um, and then, you know, but over time, I just, it just gradually shifted that I was eating less and less uh, non-vegan foods. And then it was just kind of like, a, okay, now I'm ready to call myself a vegan and, and put that structure back on myself. Um because it's not no longer hard and it's what I want. And, and then that, that kind of those rules and that structure will actually be good for me, I think. Yeah. And so it seems like that, that little challenge period kind of uh, stretches you. Right. Right. There's a saying, I don't know who it was, probably uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said something like a mind once stretched never returns to its original dimensions or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was Emerson. I have no idea. But it was someone in, in that realm. And uh, I think that's kind of what happens, right? When you when you do this hard push and you make yourself do this thing for two weeks or a month or whatever, and it's hard, but you, you stick it out and you get through it, then you've kind of stretched yourself to this thing that you now have some level of comfort around this, even if it's difficult, so that then things can move there sort of naturally um, just over time in a yeah. way that's more sustainable. And it changes your thinking about it too in the, in the way that you, you now know that you can, one, you can do it, and two that you know you can survive it even even if it's hard or even if you're craving that pizza at the end you know i think that it just kind of puts everything else into context right but um, the, that was just one part of it right so so i guess you in your email you outlined that there were two two things that were kind of holding people back from that you noticed people were struggling with and that was the one is getting yourself to do a part and this so like the motivation part and the other part was the knowing what to eat part and that was a big right. one Right. And that, and really that's kind of, I think of that as the first one. Like when we talk about, I want to start eating healthily or I want to eat better. Uh, I think the thing that comes first is what do you actually do? And then the actual part, that, and that's not hard, right? We like, there's, there are a thousand different philosophies on how you should actually eat. And it's quite likely that many of them work if you actually do it. Now, I don't know, that doesn't necessarily mean they all work for the long term or they're all, you know, the right way to eat. But as far as whatever the goal is they're trying to get you to, whether it's just short-term fitness, losing weight, um, putting Getting on muscle. weight. Yeah. yeah. 
right? Like they're probably pretty effective at, at helping you reach that goal. If it's a book and it has made it onto the shelves of Barnes and Noble, uh, then, you know, you got to think it probably works halfway well at doing what it's supposed to do. But the, and that's not always true, of course, but like, I think in general, it, it it's a pretty safe bet that if you can actually implement a diet, then you're going to see some of the results that it promises. The hard part is the actual implementation. And I think what happens is the cycle that I just have seen happen over and over is that a, a diet comes out, people try it, it works for a little while, but there's no actual changing going on. They're, they're not going about habit change in any intelligent manner. Or even if they are, uh, as we've talked about, it's kind of sad. like it's, just, it's very hard to make those kind of fundamental changes, something like as fundamental as the way you eat. That is not an easy thing to change. And even if you have changed it for 30 days in a row or 60 days in a row, uh, it's quite possible that in a year you're going to have slid back to where you were before. So mm-hmm. the point is, it's hard to get yourself to change. And what happens is the next diet book comes along then that promises you some some easier way, right? It's you failed before. We know it was hard. Uh, but here's this new diet that now lets you eat all the foods that you love. And I, I don't know. I think this is where a huge part of the appeal of paleo has been. And, mm-hmm. and I don't mean to bash paleo because I, I do think, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's the best thing for long-term health. But if we're if we're drawing inspiration from how we historically, how our ancestors ate, right, and how we evolved to eat, I mean, that seems like a sensible approach. It's kind of a marketing story now because it turns out there's not really any one paleo diet. And it has kind of turned into eat bacon and eat all these fatty foods because it's natural to do so. And that's not really what it's supposed to be, I don't think. But anyway... Um, <laughs> there's tremendous appeal in that, right? Like, oh, wow, I can actually eat bacon. I All these years I've been told that that was bad, and now I realize I can actually eat that. Um, that sounds easy to follow. I'll do that. And right. But what happens, I mean, and even with paleo, despite its popularity, people will, will try something like that, and, and they'll fail at it because they'll end up coming back to the cake or the pasta or whatever it is that's not paleo that, that they just can't possibly stay away from. So I think, and then it's a cycle. And then the next thing comes along that says, oh, well, you know, you failed at that, but here's this new thing, which is, which is you can't possibly fail at this one because it's all these other foods that you love that you thought you could never eat. And I think we, we fall into this trap and go through this cycle. And every time we're promised some new thing that is uh, supposedly, you know, even easier than before, I think we're just sort of more and more losing sight of, what actually makes sense to eat, which is which is all the same boring health foods from the that we've known for fifty years, right? Just just good old healthy fruits and vegetables for the most part, and and things around them, natural healthy foods. Um, and but I just think we start to get all these rules, and we start to get alkalinity tests, and we start to have meal timing and combining, and all just different things that we just starting to lose sight and have now all this big story in our head about how many times we've failed and have all this confusion and, and one diet says this, but this last diet said this one, which isn't surprising because if a diet is now positioning itself as the opposite of this thing that you failed at before, then of course there's going to be conflicting information. And that, that was another huge theme of the survey is people don't know what to do with all the conflicting information. Right. So anyway, I, I think it's, it's not the fault of the individual. In fact, if anyone's at fault, and I don't even think it's the diet authors who are at fault, I think it's, it's the whole food industry and how the, the processed food situation uh, because it, it shouldn't be that hard to get yourself to eat healthily if, if eating healthily is in some sense natural, right? If it's natural, then it should be what we do by default. 
but unfortunately, that's not what we do by, by default anymore because there's all this super addictive, literally addictive food out there on the shelves um, with the salt, the salt, sugar, and fat specifically uh, that just trigger these these pleasure centers in our brain. And, and in that sense, they are addictive, and it's just so easy to get thousands and thousands of calories in a very small space that, uh, you know, light up fireworks in your brain because they, they just taste so good and stimulate all these all these neurons. <laughs> um so anyway, that's that's the problem, I think, and and all this other stuff is just a symptom of this awful food situation we have going on. So that's my that's kind of what the email was about. It was just summarizing that I didn't really even give a lot of advice. I said I, I think the way that I have found success is is finding one or two people to follow and just not going just resisting that urge to like say oh, here's this new thing that came along that promises to be easier than this. Uh, I'll do that. Because you start doing that, then then suddenly you, you I don't know, you don't have any any sense of what is real anymore. I mean, you've, you've got to pick one, and you got to stick with it for a while. And I suggest finding someone to follow, because if you don't, then you're, you're going to be really susceptible to the, to the co-worker who says, well, where do you get your protein? Or... You know, right. you shouldn't be eating that because it's not going to help you do this. Or it's gonna, didn't you see this article that says that this causes this? You know, that unless you have someone who you can go to and say, well, here, here's his response or her response to that popular question. Uh, I don't know. I just think I think it's very helpful to find someone rather than just saying, well, I'm going to intuitively eat what I feel is right, which is fine if it works for you. But I just think that's hard to hard to make work when there are so many other forces around pulling you in other directions. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, even outside of nutrition, right? I mean, like running and, and with with anything in life, basically, we've kind of, as technology has gotten better and as research and stuff has gotten better, we we now have this influx of kind of data points that we can try to manipulate and follow and everything like that. And that's where people get confused, I, I think. And that's, uh, you know, when you start following too many people or when you start just reading all the advice, uh, that's how you run into trouble because everybody's just conflicting each other because they're all focused on a different thing and they all have different agendas. Um, yeah, right. And there, I mean, there's tons of new research happening, more than ever before, and that's a great thing. And I think in the next decade, we're going to find out a lot about longevity and how to live much, much longer uh, or at least increase our health span by a lot uh, or, or just our, increase, increase our quality years, if not our total absolute number of years, which I think we'll do as well. Uh, so there's certainly reasons to... to pay attention to nutrition research and and the latest. But just the sense that I get from people isn't that. It's not that I'm so confused about what I can do to help myself live an extra 10 years. Uh, it was more, it's more like I can't figure out how to eat healthily to be healthy and happy and not that stressed out today or mm. a month from now and, and be feeling like my body is where it's supposed to be. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm not at all saying ignore the, the stuff that's coming out and some of it will be contradicting because it's going to be for different goals and it's going right. to be looking at different mechanisms and there might be two totally contradictory pieces of advice each of which operates a different mechanism uh each of which helps with longevity and it turns out that either one's going to be fine perhaps um so i'm not saying don't ignore that at all i'm, I'm sorry i'm not saying ignore that i'm just saying let's separate that from just basic healthy eating and basic nutrition and basic you know feeling vibrant and physically fit uh and that's not very hard we know how to do that there are so many different approaches to it and there are so many proven good things out there uh if you want to like the one that i i think of as kind of the gold standard is look at look at joel Furman's stuff uh his eat to live book is a weight loss book if you need to lose weight just do eat to live that that's 
hmm. has made helped so many people lose weight. When I did my book tour, uh, I can't tell you how many people, maybe it was just the right timing, but so many people came up and were like, oh, I did eat to live and lost 40 pounds or 60 pounds or whatever. And it's hard. Like It is hard to get yourself to do it because it's restrictive. But if you want to know the, the how to do it, that's it. It's it just, I mean, if you do that, you can't possibly not lose weight. I mean, I'm sure someone will come and say, well, I did it and I and I possibly didn't lose weight. But I think it's very, very hard to do that. I think you would be the, the great exception uh, if you can do that and not not uh, lose weight if that's your goal. So anyway, I think I think a diet like that one, uh, and it's just, it's just whole foods and plant-based is really what it is. And he recommends certain foods, which actually is a kind of a nice segue to where we're going with uh, this episode because we do have some actual practical advice. Um, I was trying to think like, as we were discussing this episode, Doug, and what, what we were going to talk about, we were a little concerned. Uh, I was especially concerned that I just, I was worried that it was going to turn out just like the last episode where I can tell you what I've done, but I don't really have any, uh, specifics as to why it has worked or any kind of directives as to like, here's how you can implement this in your own life. Um, but you know, I have arrived at, at something of a concrete system that I tend to follow, and it's like it's just enough uh, guidelines for me where it's not stressful because it's, I don't think about calories or even micronutrients. Um, but it it still is better than just eat whole foods, at least in my opinion. And should we go there now, dog? Is that where we should go next? Or do you have anything to say to wrap up this other? No, I mean, I think I think that's where we should go. So I mean, you know, I mean, I think that the point that we want to make here is that. Uh, with this next group of, with this next section, <laughs> uh, or part of the episode is, is that, uh, you know, structure is not bad. I mean, it can be very helpful, uh, as a guideline. Right. Um, sure. but you know, as soon as you start digging too far into the weeds and counting calories and counting nutrients and all that stuff, I mean, maybe you're really into that and that's totally fine, but, uh, most people can't do that sustainably and, uh, and it'll just stress them out and, and they'll, feel lost instead of instead of feel like they have a path right but this is kind of a, a nice simple structure for you to get what you need and and be healthy yeah i don't think i don't think counting calories is necessarily a recipe for you know being unhealthy uh or that it is necessarily too stressful but to me it just i kind of look at suspicion anything i mean food is just such a fundamental piece of survival and for tens of thousands of years, you know, nobody, hundreds of thousands of years, nobody counted calories. They didn't, they didn't mm-hmm. look at, right. we didn't know the difference between protein, carbs, and fat even. It's just, you just ate food. And that, that this whole structure that has now been put on it is, you know, it, it's a kind of a human invented thing. I know, I know, you know, these, these molecules exist in nature and it's not, but the classification of them is, is a human invented. You can classify them other ways too. It doesn't have to be just classified by carbohydrate, protein, and fat. There are other ways to, classify pieces of food than that so um i don't know it just it just strikes me as that's a lot of thinking to do as soon as you have numbers involved with with your food like it just i I just don't think we're really wired to be thinking about food in that way and i i just think the person who can make that work i think there are some people who do make that work obviously and maybe there's some people for whom that's the only thing that does work uh, but it always seems to be adding this level of stress that I think for most people is unnecessary and uh, potentially un- makes it unsustainable. Mm-hmm. So um, my version, I guess the way that I evolved as an eater was, uh, you know, I was an omnivore. I, I ate terribly as a kid. I became 
a healthy omnivore, or at least I thought so in college when I was kind of getting into running and lifting, and it wasn't very healthy, but I, at least now I, I was paying some attention to the types of foods. I was trying to choose brown rice over white, as I've mentioned in my story where I kept getting fried rice because I think thought I was getting brown rice. <laughs> brown rice. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love that story. <laughs> ah, young Matt. Uh, yes. So, yes, yes. Anyway, um, so I did that. I kind of started to move towards vegetarian just for ethical reasons as I was marathon training and finally just made the shift and said I'm going to actually do it. It turned out to work really well for me. And uh, I stuck with it and then went vegan. And with the vegan thing, I, I started – I just and thankfully, I've just – because I started this Nomad Athlete blog and podcast, I kind of have been surrounded by lots of influences. And I learned about the – the whole foods thing. And I realized that you can't just be vegan. You, there's lots of vegan junk food out there. Vegan is not synonymous with healthy, but mostly whole foods vegan is pretty synonymous with healthy. So I started eating more and more whole foods and gravitated especially towards it during the training for my 100 miler. For whatever reason, I that whole process didn't have me craving more and more junk food. I found myself really finally gravitating towards the bulk section of the grocery store and lots of nuts and seeds and beans and, you know, fruits and veggies. And that most of my shopping was now in the, that kind of aisle rather than any kind of packaged good stuff. So that's when I was eating all whole foods and it was great. But as I've, as I've mentioned earlier, uh, it kind of became a lazy thing, especially with the running. It was really easy to say like, well, it's okay that I'm all I'm really eating now is pasta. And that there's not really that much, life in the food that I'm eating. And I know it's not real life because your food's not alive once you pick it really. But, uh, you know, it's just this sort of very bland, uh, not very colorful plate. And we kind of talked about this in in the context of of ruts last time, right, Doug, when we talked about, like, Mm -hmm. you can just get... Yeah, I was talking about how I'm feeling that way a little bit right now. Yeah. So uh, that's where I was, and that's when I kind of recognized that, like, yes, you can just eat... I mean, it's possible to just eat whole foods but not really be getting that much in the way of micronutrients. And micronutrients is a lot what I was learning to think about at that time. And that's really where Joel Furman's stuff entered my life. Uh, his book, Super Immunity, I've mentioned many times, it's one of my favorites. In fact, much easier introduction to his way of thinking than uh, than Eat to Live is. It's just not as dense as Eat to Live. So Super Immunity, very good book to read. And there he talks about focusing on micronutrients rather than macronutrients, which is vitamins and minerals and all kinds of phytonutrients and things that aren't, aren't as well classified. So his approach there in super immunity, which is not a, not a diet book per se, he doesn't really give you a, a meal plan to follow or anything like that, but he has this thing that stuck with me called G-BOMBS, which is an acronym, G-B-O-M-B-S. In fact, I think in that book it's like, I don't know, G-O-M-B-B-S or something, and then somebody, uh, somebody <laughs> some smart marketing person said, let's call it G-BOMBS. G-BOMBS. G-BOMBS with a double B in it. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, so anyway, and what that stands for, what G-Bomb stands for, is greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, seeds. And those are the foods that he says you mostly should work those into your diet every day if possible uh, because they are going to be the ones that are most protective against disease and they're going to be the ones that help you most achieve health. Uh, largely that is due to micronutrient content, but uh, I'm sure there's other stuff involved there too. And a lot of that comes from his Andy Index, which if you've been to Whole Foods, I don't know if they still do it now, but it used to be that at Whole Foods, like at the salad bar, everything would have a an Andy score, which is like their, uh, it's basically, it's his formula for health. And it is the nutrition of a food in terms of micronutrients divided by calories. So the most nutrition you could pack into a given calorie 
would result in the highest score. And then they normalized it so that the highest foods on that on that list had scores of a thousand, and everything else, you know, ranges down to from down to zero. So anyway, this whole thing is these G bombs tend to be the highest uh, Andy score, the highest micronutrient density of foods. And what I really liked about it was suddenly I could take this philosophy of just eat whole plant-based foods and now have some way to make it a little bit better, which is make sure that every day I get greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. And those, by the way, you should read the book. I mean, those those categories are slightly broader than he makes them. For example, onions is the allium family, which also includes garlic and other onion-like foods, scallions, leeks, etc. So, you know, read the book if you want to see specifically what those things are. Um, and I really like that, but it, it was never quite satisfying to me because I felt like I could do that pretty easily. I could get those foods, uh, but still, I don't know, maybe half, maybe even more than half of my calories were kind of up in the air and they could, they could be anything still. And, and like I said, mostly whole food, plant-based stuff is what I was eating all, all plant-based, but mostly whole food. Um, but it just felt like this wasn't quite enough. I felt like I could, I could do better than this. So that's when I found Gregor and his stuff. And of course he has his daily dozen, which I don't have the list in front of me right now. I wish I did. Uh, but it is, it is a dozen things that you should be getting. And it's, it's, harder to get than just G-bombs, which is just six things. Now you have 12 things, one of which is exercise and one of which is, you know, several glasses of water during the day or other drinks that are good for you. So it's not quite as hard as it sounds, but he says get multiple servings of some of these things. And he's got this handy dandy Gregor Daily Dozen app that a lot of people have used and had success with. Uh, So I tried that for a while and it worked pretty well for me. I enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed checking off the boxes, not in app form, of course, Doug, but in an old-fashioned pen and paper. <laughs> pen form. and paper. Yep. Did you have a little chart that you would update every day? Yes. I actually had a slate chalkboard and uh, eraser oh, okay. in my home that I that I. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. I didn't. It's not Stone Ages here, Doug. <laughs> I actually think I actually think that's more practical. <laughs> Maybe not chalkboard, but uh, know, like a dry erase board. Yeah. Yes, I'm sure people do that. Although then, you know, you know, you would need the uh, permanent marker for the boxes so you can have uh, right and the lines and stuff. Which, yeah. There's, there's some way of doing that, I think, but I don't know what that is. <laughs> anyway. Um, some, something to work towards, Matt. Yes, something- <laughs> <laughs> and I worked on that, and I like that, but that gave me stress. As much as I love Gregor's stuff, love his book, How Not to Die, and love that he came up with that system, The Daily Dozen. And that, by the way, that is the best part of his book. If you If you get the Gregor book, which is really long, um, and you just can't get to it because it's this huge brick on your shelf and it's just hard to, it's intimidating to get to all that. Read the Daily Dozen section at the end, which is like his breakdown of, of the foods he thinks you should get every day. And uh, it's just so such a good practical introduction to nutrition that everyone should read it. Um, but anyway, I did that for a while and I, I kind of liked it, but it was it added stress to my life in terms of trying to check all these boxes every day. It felt stressful and I would get to the end of the day, and I'd have a bunch of boxes that I that I hadn't checked yet, and had no way of really getting them in, in the single meal that I had left in the day. So I started to say, I need something that is a little bit less stressful than this, but still gets most of this stuff in. And that's where I came up with the, the quote-unquote system that is the way that I eat these days, or as often as I possibly can. And basically, it, it is what my whole talk, which you, if you're listening to this, has pr- probably seen... Um, me mention or if you've been to any of these events you've probably seen it, the title which is seven foods worth eating every single day we've got a free download of that thing you can go find that if you want on our site um 
and we even have like a seven day meal plan thing based on that idea. But all I really did with seven foods to eat every day was combine Furman and Gregor's lists into something that I felt was a little bit more manageable by kind of finding the overlaps and putting those groups together and eliminating some things that I felt, uh, you know, I could, I could easily get. Like, for example, Gregor says get spices every day. I'm already getting spices throughout my diet. Like, I just get them because I cook my food. So I mm-hmm. get lots and lots of spices in my stuff. Uh, but turmeric specifically is one that he calls out, and that that one I don't tend to get automatically. So that one is one of my seven foods, right? The rest of the spices kind of fell by the wayside because I get those anyway. Uh, similarly, things like water. I didn't say get water because I just I drink water all the time. So right. Um, so, and like I said, this was really for me. I just was, this isn't, I'm not saying this will work for anyone. Uh, your seven foods to eat every day list could be different, or maybe it's eight or maybe it's nine or maybe it's two, uh, could be different because you, you, your lifestyle already has you eating certain things that maybe I'm not. So anyway, uh, I came up with my list, my categories, if you want to hear them are, uh, I grouped greens and cruciferous vegetables together. They're not the same. There's an overlap between greens and cruciferous, um, the only thing to know here is is cruciferous are a different type of vegetables. They tend to um, make these things called ITCs, which is isothiocyanates. Uh, complicated thing as to how they get created. People know about sulforaphane. That's kind of the, the trendy, popular one that everyone's talking about. Not everyone, but people are talking about how do you uh, maximize the sulforaphane content in your food. And it has to do with the chemical reaction that happens. Um, anyway, it and there are ways to screw it up. If you if you cook your cruciferous vegetables before you have chopped them, or or if you cook them too soon after chopping them, uh, you can actually destroy the you remove the enzyme that is necessary for this reaction. So it gets long and boring. But <laughs> anyway, uh, cruciferous very very important. Just eat them raw. If you eat them raw, then you don't have to worry about any of that complicated stuff, and you will get all the ITCs. Um, but anyway, greens and cruciferous go together. The cruciferous vegetables, by the way, because not everyone knows what they are, uh, are things like kale, collard greens, uh, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, other stuff, radishes, bok choy. I don't have a list in front of me, but they all produce the same flower that it looks like a cross. So they got this cruce uh, part of their name. But anyway, look up the list of those and try to get those into your diet each day. Uh, and greens. So I put those things together. I'll move faster through the other ones here. Uh, onions and garlic is a great one. Flax seeds and other nuts and seeds is my next group. Berries and other fruits is my next one. Green tea, because that shows up in Gregor's list. Uh, Furman mentions the value of green tea, but I don't tend to drink that automatically. Uh, Coffee, I'll do automatically, and water, I'll do automatically. But green tea is important enough for me that I need to try to get it each day. Turmeric, as I mentioned before, and, of course, beans. So those are my seven foods that I'm trying to get each day. Uh, I don't really focus that much on serving sizes of them. I just try to work them into my diet each day. Again, I've said I, I'm trying to make this as low stress as possible. So I don't really think about serving sizes. I don't need to think get a cup of beans each day because if I'm going to get beans, then they're probably going to be part of my dinner or they're going to be on top of a giant salad for lunch. And I'm going to get half a cup or three quarters of a cup. And maybe I'll get that once. Maybe I'll get that twice in a day, but it's going right. to end up being fine. So anyway, um, my talk, should you ever get the chance to come see it or should you see it on a website and get it, um, goes into too depth about all these groups and I'm not doing that here. But those are the seven that I really try to focus on. And I think the most interesting part of the way I have made this work isn't actually the foods because you can you can use whatever foods you want, whatever foods matter to you to get each day. Um, but the way that I have, the system I've come up for actually getting them 
is where I think the most value is, hopefully for other people, but certainly for me. And that was in realizing that if I start each day with a smoothie, and if you don't mm-hmm. like a smoothie, then oatmeal is fine just as, as well. Uh, but with that smoothie, you can get the berries and other fruits. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention some runners-up. Like, I have a few others that I try to get, but they I sort of get pretty easily, like whole grains is one. Uh, I don't worry about getting that. I don't worry about other vegetables that I didn't mention because I'm going to just tend to get them anyway. They're going to show up as basically the canvas of all this other food. Mm-hmm. So, um, Yeah, you're not saying you should only eat these seven foods. No, of course not. Yeah. I mean, just you eat a nice, healthy variety of plant-based foods. Right, but and you try just kind of make sure you to get these. these in there. Yeah. But anyway, in that smoothie, um, you can get the berries and other fruits. You can get flax seeds and other nuts and seeds. So I typically will get flax seeds and uh, Brazil nuts in my smoothie. But it's also just a really great vehicle for getting other stuff. If you want, you can toss in green tea leaves, and then you're getting nice whole leaf nutrition and tea at the same time. You can toss in a slice of fresh turmeric in your smoothie, which you will taste, but it doesn't really taste bad in a smoothie it just adds uh, i don't know it just changes the flavor but it's hard to say how um it's not not as noticeable as it would be just to eat a slice of fresh turmeric uh yeah. you can add beans to your smoothie derek tree size who we had uh with marcella torres they made our vegan strength blueprint i've read about a bean shake that they used to drink for adding calories so if you really wanted you could put beans in your smoothie uh not everyone's going to do that but the point is Oh, and greens, of course. You can stir greens into a smoothie rather easily, and if you don't put too many, then you won't notice it. So I like a smoothie because it's a great vehicle for getting so many good foods. Granted, some people don't like smoothies. They think it's a bad idea to drink the things that you could eat in their whole form, unblended form, and they think you might get too many calories and get them too quickly by drinking them in smoothie form. So um, you you can basically do the same thing with oatmeal, and then you're getting a nice serving of whole grains as well. Uh, But you can kind of make the same mix of ingredients oatmeal is just as good a vehicle for delivering that stuff so if you don't like smoothies oatmeal oatmeal is perfectly viable alternative but that is uh that is breakfast for lunch i will as often as possible try to do just a giant huge salad with beans on top as i mentioned before and a nut-based dressing uh i'm not like 100 percent entirely opposed to oil at all times i just try to minimize it these days and mm-hmm. uh, I figure if you're going to be building something into your diet or saying, this is my ideal that I'm kind of striving for most days, which is going to be a salad, then let's not put oil in the dressing because, sure, if you want that to be the rare exception, go for it. But when we're talking about let's design a daily diet plan that's as good as it can be, uh, the nut-based dressing is the way to way to go. So uh, I've got some recipes for a cashew ranch, a garlic tahini dressing, and uh, that's what I typically will put on a huge salad with beans on it. And then finally for dinner, it's going to be some combination of a green, a grain, and a bean, which uh, old school fans of Nomad Athlete will recognize that term because it was a blog post that I wrote a long, long time ago, long before Trader Joe's put that same phrase on their frozen something. I don't know what it they was. They stole it. They found they you. They totally stole they it. They stole it. I hate Trader Joe's. <laughs> Actually, I don't. I really like Trader Joe's. I think they have a lot of good stuff. Um, you know what's specifically good from Trader Joe's, Doug? What's that? Their red lentil pasta. Oh. You ever get that? No. It's like little tubes. and uh, Made from lentils. Made only from red lentils. There's nothing else in there. Yeah. And my kids, like Holden does not like beans. He just hates beans. But mm-hmm. he will eat that. He knows it's made out of beans. And honestly, like I, I do not like most of those alternative pastas at all. But this right. one is the very closest one I've found to, you know, being indistinguishable from regular good old whole grain pasta. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't. You got to cook it just the right amount, but it doesn't get weird. It doesn't gum up. It, it doesn't uh, taste bad. It's really good. High, number one reco I can give you is uh, 
is red lentil pasta from Trader Joe's. <laughs> All right. I will check it out. <laughs> yes. So that's a side note. But uh, grain, a green bean is kind of just this philosophy for making a nice, often one-pot dinner that is super healthy. And uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. But it doesn't have to be this. Remember we talked with uh, Stephanie Romine, when the co-author of the Nomad Athlete Cookbook, a few months ago. Actually, that was more like a year ago now. Uh, and her husband coined this term, a big bowl of sadness, which is what he, he said a lot of times I think she was making, which is what I think a lot of vegans fall into with the with the what vegans eat hashtag is the big bowl of of mush doesn't look any good but but we kind of get into this habit of we we just i don't know if if you're doing this right you start to really just love the food for the food's sake and you don't care that it's a big bowl of mush uh but anyway i know a lot of people don't like that idea but it turns out a grain a green and a bean doesn't have to be that it could be something like uh in my first book there was a, a chickpea pasta stew which has kale leaves stirred into it. So you have the chickpeas that are your bean, the pasta, the whole grain pasta, whole wheat pasta is your grain, and you can use any pasta you want. I guess if you used uh, Trader Joe's red lentil pasta, then it would no longer be a grain. <laughs> a grain. A bean. It would now just be a, a two beans and a green. But anyway. <laughs> um, two beans and a green. That sounds like a, a movie title or like, something. Yeah, like a show with Charlie Sheen in it or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I'd watch that. So anyway, uh, a ta- you can make a tacos, right? The corn tortillas can be your grain and you can put beans on your tacos or lentils in your tacos and then top it with some sort of green or cabbage or whatever. Cabbage can be green, of course, as well. But I always think of red when I think of cabbage. Um, so that's one. Uh, what other green green beans are there, Doug? I mean, there's a there's hundred different dishes that can be. Rice and beans with some kind of green stirred in is a nice green, green and bean, although that's getting closer to, to bowl of mush. Um, what I'm just blanking on names. A stir fry type of dish, right? Soups, soups. You can have soups that are grain, green, and bean. Yeah. Well, we said stew, but if you if you want to make yeah. that distinction, then I missed that one. Sorry. <laughs> Chickpea pasta stew at the beginning was that one. Oh yeah, right, um, right, right. Lots of pasta dishes have beans in the sauce, or can have beans in the sauce if you want them to, and mm-hmm. have greens as well. So the point is, grain, a green, a bean takes many forms. I, I said stir fry if you count tofu, or you could actually put whole beans in your in your stir fry if you want um but that has if you serve that over rice then you've got a grain and hopefully you've got some greens in there so a grain a green bean can take many forms but i i tend to think a lot of times i will stare blankly at a a cookbook area of my house not even a shelf an area that has 60 cookbooks in it and i just can't decide what to eat because there's just too many things and then you've got the whole internet where you can find a billion more um so oftentimes having too much choice is not a good thing I've talked before about the strategy of like picking an ingredient that you happen to have extra. Like if you've got a bunch of zucchini, then just look for the zucchini recipes in your uh, in your cookbooks, and you can narrow it down. And now you have many fewer choices, and it's just kind of easier to find exactly the recipe to make tonight. But this grain green bean format does that for me as well. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out what to eat. I would just start thinking about grains, greens, and beans, and you know what recipes do I know that we do that you know fit that format or or can i just go in a book and start leafing through looking for those sorts of things um so anyway that that's what grain green and bean is and that also of course makes it very easy grain green and bean is three of these food well two of these foods plus the runner-up whole grains um so anyway that and then you throw in other veggies and you're exactly and onion and garlic and you're... right you can start it with onion and garlic so the point is any of these meals including the salad which we didn't really expand on but often you can, I'll just do the, the slice of turmeric with my with my salad. Um, 
you know, you could put berries in your salad. You could put nuts and seeds in your salad. You could put onion and garlic, like uh, scallions, for example, could go in your salad. Greens, cruciferous are obvious. So the point, these meals are carefully chosen because they they are really good vehicles for providing the foods that I'm trying to focus on each day. So that's kind of the point. Um, that's that's what I hope will be the take-home. The, the take-home isn't follow my seven groups of foods to eat every day and follow these three meals, but I just hope someone can hear that and kind of be inspired to think like, okay, that's a nice level of not very stressful. And it might sound stressful that we've said seven groups, but these three meals sort of make it automatic. If you just focus on eating those three things, then you're going to get those things automatically without thinking about them. Uh, and for me, that that is what I do almost all the time. I stray from it now and then. There are certainly days when I just go entirely off that. But uh, I wish I had to come back to those three because I think they're the best I can do. And those those make me get those those seven groups of foods pretty much automatically. So that is my strategy. Any uh, Any closing thoughts there, Doug, about that? No, I mean, I think, I think it makes total sense. And, and, uh, you know, if you just, if, if all you did, if you didn't even focus on the seven foods, but if all you did was, was use those three meals, uh, right. as examples of, you know, as your kind of starting point every day, uh, and just tried to get a lot of variety within those three meals, then, uh, I think you'd be in really good shape. Yeah. I think that's a really great point. I think you could, you could do exactly that. And then you could apply whatever foods list you want to it, right? You could take mm-hmm. my seven foods. You could take Gregor's Daily Dozen. You could take right. Firm and G-Bombs. But those three meals, I don't know if they're unique for this, but they are three that are particularly uh, easy to to kind of work in whatever you want into them. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's, that is what works for me. So anyway, I, I like that. It's not, it's, not, uh, it's not a meal plan, and I think that's probably a good thing. For the most part, I think you, know, you can follow meal plans. They're nice for what we talked about earlier in getting you to do something for a while and stretching yourself to to feel what it's like to eat this way. But you just can't follow a meal plan for your whole life or even for a year. It's just it's just too hard. So, you know, learn this framework and then uh, do what you will within it. <laughs> I got to go do like some it. esports, Doug. I got some. Uh, I have a big esports tournament starting right now, so <laughs> okay. I got to jump. <laughs> I don't want to keep you from that. <laughs> <laughs> but right. you don't actually have to jump because all you have to do is hit uh, A. And That's true. My fingers need to do <laughs> some more. Uh, you can get all this stuff. We're gonna on on next Monday. What I wrote in this email was it, uh, which we referred to a few minutes ago. The email that we sent out that resonated so well was I was gonna send people a nice rundown of this approach that I use, which is different from the free thing we currently offer on our site. It's it's more in depth than that. Uh, so if you go to nomi.com slash what was it, Doug? No, no stress. No stress. No yeah. dash stress. No dash stress. Then it will take you to a nice little opt-in form where you can sign up, uh, and you will get the email on Monday that I send that has the the freebie stuff in it, which is all about this thing we've talked about here. So go mm-hmm. there, nomi slash no dash stress, and uh, that's it. All right. Okay. Thanks for Take listening, care, everyone. everyone. All right. Yeah. Bye. Bye.